Choir, thank you for reminding us how wonderful God's love is for us. Well, today we are going to go back into the Old Testament in the book of Genesis to study one of the patriarchs of our faith, Jacob. It's Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. I invite you to follow along as I read in your own Bibles or on the screen. Hear God's word for us today. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabok, it's the Jabok River. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that Jacob could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked Jacob, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, these past couple of weeks, my family and I have uh, been very thankful to have a little time of vacation. And as you know, we spent it out in the southwest part of our country. I had been out to Arizona and New Mexico on a mission trip the summer after my eighth grade year in middle school with the Methodist Church, we worked on a Navajo reservation. But while we were there, the youth leaders took us to the Grand Canyon and to some of the other sites around there. So I had seen it all those years ago, but my family had never been out west. So Melanie, Isabella, and I enjoyed our time together. When we walked up to the edge of the south rim of the Grand Canyon, we were speechless. There are not words or even pictures to adequately describe what we experienced. And we, we literally had tears in our eyes. Our jaws were just dropped. Even though I had seen it before, it was amazing. And then we were able to see the pastel painted breaststrokes of the painted desert there in Arizona and the mosaics in the petrified wood and the petrified forest. And then we were able to hike a number of national parks in Arizona and in 
southern, west, southwestern, and southeastern Utah. Over and again, we were reminded how big our God is, and how creative our God is, and how beautiful this earth is. It was also a reminder that I needed to be a better steward of this good, beautiful earth God's given to us. It's no surprise that people from all over the world are drawn to that area to be closer to God, to feel spiritual, to experience it all. In fact, Zion National Park in southwest Utah is named for the holy city of God. While we made our way through Zion, we saw three peaks that a Methodist minister gave the name the Court of the Patriarchs. And I believe we have a slide for you that shows you from left to right Abraham, the peaks named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, me being a preacher and all, I thought that was really cool. I don't know how you all do things on vacation, but I thought it was really cool, especially since I was going to be preaching from the text in Genesis of one of our patriarchs today, Jacob, and in the next few weeks, one of his sons, Joseph. Today we focus on that patriarch, Jacob. As Christians, we are children of Abraham. Paul reminds us this in Romans 9, 1 through 5, that we are children of these patriarchs in the faith. When we study the genealogies of Jesus Christ, we find that Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. He was one of Jacob's offspring. In today's passage, Genesis chapter 32, we join Jacob in a very pivotal point in his life. Many of us know the story of how he wrestled with God there at the ford of the Jabok River. You probably remember it from Sunday school if you were raised in the church or from vacation Bible school at some point. Or maybe you've not heard the story and it will be for the very first time that you experience it today. We'll join Jacob in just a little bit at the river. When he wrestled with God, he received God's blessing and God gave him a new name. Often God would give someone a new name in Scripture. His name formerly meant cheater and deceiver, but God changed his name to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. Israel comes from two Hebrew words, Sarah and El. Struggle, God. Struggle with God. He was one who did not let go. He was one who held tight to his faith. In this part of Jacob's story, we meet a man whose name characterized him. Can you imagine what it was like for Jacob to grow up with a name that meant manipulator, cheater, liar, stealer? I couldn't imagine that. Though he was a spiritual man, Jacob would take any opportunity to get ahead, no matter what the cost or no matter what the hurt might have been. But there at the ford of the Jabok River, he experienced the grace of God and is taught a lesson in humility and shows us a picture of one who walked forward with a limp but was able to reveal God's goodness and his grace. All of this happened as he wrestled with God, as he did not let go of God there at the river. The word wrestle only appears once in the scriptures and it's right here. So a little backstory, and then we'll try to make some application today. 
Jacob, as you remember, was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the twin brother of Esau. Esau born first, but Jacob coming behind, grabbing at Esau's heel. Esau would become a skillful hunter, but Jacob, well, he was more of a homebody, staying close to the tent. Several stories, as you read about him in the genesis of his cheating and manipulation, he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. You remember that story. And then he cheated his elderly dying father Isaac out of giving Esau his blessing. And he cheated Esau out of receiving his father's blessing. Later he would cheat his uncle Laban out of many of his flocks and herds. I haven't mentioned the drama. If you want drama, if you want to understand a dysfunctional family, just read through Genesis and you'll feel like, my, we're not so unique after all. There were problems in the Bible. And it's really neat that God used and chose people of brokenness and dysfunction to bring about the line that led to Jesus Christ. God's always at work in that way. Jacob took two sisters, Leah and Rachel, as wives. That wasn't God's intention, but that's what he did. And between these two sisters and their maidservants, there were 12 boys and one daughter named Dinah. The boys would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, some 20 years had gone by. Jacob had fled and was away from Esau. And he had come to a point where he wanted to reconcile with his brother. He was terribly afraid, especially when he heard that his brother was coming with scores of men. He sent messengers across and some nice gifts to attempt to win over his brother. He stayed in the camp, and that night he sent his wives and his 11 children, Benjamin hadn't been born yet, flocks and herds and possessions across the Jabok River in hopes to pacify Esau. And after his family and possessions and the last livestock crossed over, Jacob finds himself all alone. The first thing we learn today is that when we feel alone, God is there. Sometimes you and I feel that God's not with us. Sometimes our circumstances are such that we feel that God has abandoned us or deserted us. But throughout Scripture, Old Testament, through the Gospels and to the end of the New Testament, we see that God promises that He is always with us. Verse 24 of our passage. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And that man was God. God was with Jacob. God had never left Jacob. In the midst of the, ter the most terrible of fears, God was with him. God tells us today, I am with you. Even Jesus himself felt abandoned when he faced the end of his life. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that did not diminish in any way at all whatsoever the presence of God in his situation. Jesus later told, would, would tell his disciples before all of this as he was teaching them, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the promise that we have of God, that he is always with us. 
I am convinced that loneliness and despair are some of the most prevalent struggles that people face today. Young people feel that they are left out. Young people, even though they may have peers and they may hang out with others, sometimes feel all alone and that nobody cares. Sometimes those who are in nursing homes and residential facilities feel that no one cares and they are all alone. And people may be connected with all kinds of friends on social media and it may have the appearance that they have a lot of friends but in fact, the reality may be they feel terribly alone. That's why it's so important for us to have a family of faith, to be part of a congregation, to know that there are people week in and week out who are experiencing some of the same things that we are and who gather and who love us and who are God's presence among us. When we are apart from one another, we are still together as Christ's body. We are part of something that is so great, the family of God. When we feel alone, God is there. And then when we face life's struggles, may we be determined in our faith. May we, as Jacob, hold on tight to our faith. Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. I will not let you go. And through this, he received God's blessing. I aspire to have that kind of faith. I aspire to have a faith where I will not let go of my God. You may be familiar with the story of Louis Zamperini. He's the character in the movie Unbroken. Louis was born in 1917 in New York and made the United States Olympic team for the 5,000 meter run in the 1936 Olympics. Later, he became a star athlete for the University of Southern California and held the record for the mile for some 15 years. After our country entered World War II, Louis enrolled or enlisted into the United States Army Air Corps, which was later the Air Force. He became a second lieutenant and was a bombardier on B-24s. While on a rescue mission, his plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. He and two others spent days on life rafts. Two of the men out of the three survived 47 days on a life raft. You can imagine, if you read his book, which I've just finished, you can imagine the perils that they experienced out there. They were finally rescued, but not so much, because they were taken prisoner of war by the Japanese. He was POW for two years. In his book, Devil at My Heels, he tells this harrowing story, and he says, I almost lost my wife, family, and friends before I hit bottom. This is after he was rescued and liberated. He slid into anger and alcoholism and depression. And then one day he looked up literally and figuratively and found faith instead. Before he found faith, his wife Cynthia was determined to save her husband, to save her marriage and her family. She prayed fervently for Louis. In 1949, Billy Graham and his ministries came to Los Angeles to lead a series of revival tent meetings. 
Cynthia attended, but Louis did not want to have anything to do with it. He remembers some of the tent revivals when he was growing up, and he was scared of that. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Well, Cynthia persisted. She held on, and finally Louis relented and grudgingly went to the revival. Well, during the worship service, they came to the invitation time. He grabbed his wife's hand, and he wanted to leave. And they went down to the edge of the aisle, and he was about to turn out and go outside when he heard a voice say, go. He let go of his wife's hand, and he walked down to the front of the aisle and met with a prayer counselor and prayed to give his life to Jesus Christ. He writes, I dropped to my knees for the first time in my life, truly humbled myself before the Lord. I begged the Lord for his pardon and asked Jesus to come into my life. Louis states, it's the most realistic experience I'd ever had. I'm not sure what I expected. Perhaps my life or my sins or great white light would flash before my eyes. Or perhaps I would feel a shock like a bolt of lightning. Instead, he writes, I felt no tremendous sensation, just a weightlessness and an enveloping calm that let me know that Christ had come into my heart. He began to devote his life to the work of, of the Christian faith and traveled all over sharing his testimony. He even traveled back overseas to forgive his captives. Maybe we would say that Louis experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding that the Apostle Paul writes of in Philippians. I imagine that Jacob experienced the same kind of peace when he crossed over the Jabok River and met his brother Esau, whom he was fearing so much. And Esau did not attack him, but forgave him. Esau, as the scripture said, ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Reminds me of the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son who wrapped his arms around his son and kissed him when he who was lost was found. He who was dead was home again. One final reminder from Jacob at the Jabok River. And that is when God inhabits the imperfect and broken, you and me, his healing hope is visible to other people. Verse 25, the writer of Genesis says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched, and that would be God, God touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then verse 31, the sun rose above Jacob, now Israel, as he passed Peniel, as he was limping because of his hip. Jacob wrestled with God. He held tight. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel and changed his character and gave him a new opportunity in life. God took away his fears, changed him into a new person, he went from being a cheater and liar and manipulator to one who would allow God to rule in his life. 
but he went away with a limp. And perhaps that was a way for him to express how God had worked in his life. Maybe this story is to help us to see the redemptive nature of God, that God is always with us, that God never gives up on us, that the God who loved us so much that he stepped into this mess of humanity to save us and to give us new life. As Matthew shared earlier, we are new people. We are set free. We are made whole. Maybe our limp is a reminder of our humanity and our humility. When we accept Christ and turn our lives over to him and live for God, it doesn't mean that all of our problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle. We will. In fact, we often struggle more as Christians than we did before because now we know who we live for. We know the difference between the old and the new. Like Paul, who was given a thorn in the flesh, God reminded him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We Christian people often have a limp or bear a mark of our brokenness, but we pray that God would use those as a way to share his redemptive love for all people. Maybe you remember back in 2011, there was a terrible earthquake which caused a tsunami in Japan. Many people lost their lives. Thousands of homes were destroyed in the area of northeast Tokyo. In its aftermath, a new ministry began called the Nozomi Project. I read about this recently in the Our Daily Bread devotional. The project is named for the Japanese word hope. It provides sustainable income, community, and dignity, and hope in a God who provides. Nozomi women sift through the rubble of the homes that were destroyed and the furnishings to discover and sift out broken shards of china, as, uh, and then they sand them and smooth them into jewelry. And the jewelry is sold around the world, providing a livelihood for these women as they share these symbols of their faith in Christ. Broken pottery, broken china, broken pieces, jars of clay. In New Testament times, it was customary to hide valuables in the unlikely vessels of clay pots. Paul describes how the gospel is contained in the human frailty of followers of Jesus Christ, jars of clay. He suggests that the meager and even at times broken vessels of our lives can actually reveal God's power in contrast to our perfections. Though many of us have scars and may walk with a limp or remember the hurts, like Jacob, we can find new life and hope in the God of new beginnings. Our prayer today is, dear God, help us Show others your power as we share the treasure of your gospel in our broken but beautiful lives. To God be the glory. Jesus himself endured pain and suffering 
and brokenness on our behalf. The night before he was to die on Calvary's cross, he gathered with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine and blessed it and poured it out, saying, This is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the coming of the Son of Man. Today we invite you to the table of the Lord, to him who is broken and poured out. Would you join me as we pray together?